Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave! You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. With what have you been entrusted? With what have you been entrusted? Almost two years ago now, my parents sold the home in which I grew up and moved into a slightly smaller house. I'd call it downsizing, but it's like 200 square feet less, so it's not quite downsizing. But they did use that opportunity to sort through a whole bunch of their stuff and get rid of a lot of it. Some of you are doing that right now, or you're thinking about doing that in the days to come. It's a lot of work. Plenty of their things went to Goodwill, plenty more went into the trash, but one thing came to my house, and that was a cedar chest. It's a big chest that used to sit in my grandmother's home, and then it sat in my mother's home, and now it has been entrusted to me. It's been entrusted to me. As you might be able to guess, this cedar chest is full of family treasures, full of pictures and mementos and family history from the last 100 years. It has been entrusted to me, and I intend to take care of it with the same love and care that my mother and my grandmother did, with the same sort of protection that they would expect. 
That's what you do, isn't it? When someone entrusts you with something, you take care of it in the way that the one who gave it to you would hope for you to do. This seems to be the point of the parable that Jesus laid out before his disciples here in the middle of the 25th chapter of Matthew. Now, I probably should not point out the point of the parable right at the start of the sermon because that's not really the way parables are supposed to work. They're supposed to be interesting or intriguing stories, meant to surprise, meant even to confuse the audience. They are rarely tidy. They're sometimes unsettling on purpose. And Jesus loved to teach in parables. I imagine that he loved to have the crowd murmuring as they heard him tell the story, trying to figure out what exactly he was talking about. For us to fully appreciate the parables of Jesus, we need to admit that sometimes they're confusing. And if we try to make them into something that's easy and simple and tidy, we're probably not reading them very, un very carefully. The story that we have today, I think, is a great example of this because it's easy to read it in such a way that we just sort of skip over all the uncomfortable details to get to the lesson that we want, which, of course, is not what Jesus was interested in. He did not say to his disciples, pay attention only to the parts of my teaching that you're comfortable with. So I want to just take a look for a moment with you at this parable, to look closely at it, to see what it might have to say to us about God and about ourselves. We call it the parable of the talents. And, and let me say first off that it is not a parable about being talented. Too often, preachers have spiritualized it, made it metaphorical, tried to make it about something other than what it's about. It is about money. This is a parable about money. A talent is a unit of money. So this is a parable about material resources, about stuff. It's not about how good we can sing or how good we are at math. This is not talent as in America's got talent, all right? It is a story about stuff, about material resources, chiefly about money. Talent is a weird word for us to think about in terms of money, but that's what it was. It was money, a whole lot of money. The story itself is pretty simple. There's a really rich guy, and he goes away for a long time. And before he leaves, he takes these three servants of his, and he entrusts them with some money. Now, these had to be guys that had already proven themselves as his servants because he gives them a lot of money. In fact, he gives them an unbelievable sum of money. I think that Jesus was actually exaggerating here simply for effect. He's telling the story in an outrageous way because he wants to make the point more intense. He wants to make the story more memorable. Now, talent was the largest sum of money or unit of money in the ancient world. Most commonly in ancient Israel, money was exchanged in the form of silver coins. So a talent's worth of silver, if I gave you a talent's worth of silver, it would weigh 75 pounds. 75 pounds. How many of you can carry 75 pounds around in your pocket? All right. A talent was heavy. But not only that, it could buy a whole lot of stuff. It was equivalent to something like 6,000 denarii. And a denarii, just one denarii, was the usual wage for a day laborer. That meant that a talent was equal to like 20 years of wages for a regular laborer laborers like the kind of people that Jesus would have told this story to in the first place. It was more money than they could ever imagine having at one time. 20 years of wages 
for a laborer. That's one talent. If we wanted to translate it into money today, let's say we take someone who makes $9 an hour, okay, sort of a, a typical day laborer, $9 an hour. That's like the starting wage at a grocery store or maybe at McDonald's. If you work an eight-hour day at that job, which nobody at McDonald's ever does because they don't schedule people for full 40-hour weeks, but that's a different sermon. So eight hours working at $9 an hour, how much money is that for a day? 72, somebody here in the sanctuary got it, good job. $72 for the day, that's a day's work. So we say $72 is equivalent to one denarii. That means a talent is worth $432,000, $432,000. And the first slave in the story is given five talents. So this master is incredibly rich, incredibly rich. He gives his servant $2.1 million to take care of when he goes away on business. The second servant, he gives just a little under $900,000. And that third servant, that poor third servant, he just gets one talent, still $432,000. A ridiculous sum of money for just about everybody in ancient Israel. While the rich man was gone, the first two men, they go and they make a whole lot more money. They double his money, in fact. The story doesn't tell us how they do that, but a moment later we learn that this rich man is not actually somebody to be admired. In fact, he's a bit of a scoundrel. So it seems safe to me to assume that the men who doubled his money did it in a way similar to the way the rich man made his own money which isn't great because they probably did it by preying on other people, taking advantage of other people. Maybe we could think of them as like payday lenders or something like that. The first two servants, they were just doing what had been taught by their master and they were doing it really well. The third servant, he's the guy that lets us in on the character of the master. He says to his master's face, he says, master, you're a harsh man and you reap where you do not sow, and you gather where you do not scatter seed. Which probably means he stole or he cheated his way to his wealth. So when we see this description from the third servant, it's a clue to us that this parable is not about how wonderful it is to get rich. It's not some kind of celebration of the free market capitalist system. Okay, The money was probably ill-gotten gain. The third servant, that third servant, the one who seemed troubled by the business of his master, he didn't want to copy the master's ways. He, he wasn't on board with those underhanded business practices. So he thought he'd just played safe. He hid the money in the ground and waited for the master to return. He didn't want to be about the master's business, so he figured out he would just give the master back what had been given to him. And then what happens? The rich man returns. And he's happiest with those first two servants, of course, the ones who continued his own business practices, underhanded though they may have been. He was thrilled for the work, for the fact that they had made him so much money. And so he says this line that we remember so clearly from the scripture, well done, good and faithful servant, well done for cheating and lying, just like I had done. Then we come to the third guy, the guy who refused to do anything but hide the money. That guy confesses that he was afraid of his master, and he just gives back what had been given to him. He returns that money, all of it, $432,000 of it. And for that, what does he get? He gets the fury of his master. He gets rage. 
He didn't do the business of the master while the master was gone. And so the third servant is thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which in the parables of Jesus in Matthew is a way to talk about eternal punishment. Now, I suspect that the people who first heard this parable would have been a little mad at the rich guy at this point. Maybe you are too. It hardly seems fair that that third servant gets cast into the outer darkness that he winds up in that place of eternal pain and suffering. All he did was keep the master's money safe. He didn't steal it. He didn't lose it. He didn't waste it on self-indulgence. All he did was hide it. But by doing that, he refused to be about his master's business. He didn't do the work the master himself would have done. And that brings the master's wrath. All right, now, how do we interpret this parable? Is God like the rich master? If we're reading closely, that should make us a little uncomfortable because the rich man is not an upstanding guy, reaping where he did not sow. That's not the kind of grace and goodness that we think about when we think about the character of God. So I don't think Jesus is saying that God is like the rich man exactly. I read it that the shady character of the rich master is just... It's just like the huge sum of money. Jesus is using these outrageous details to try to get us to pay attention and to help us remember. So we can think about it like the whole parable is outsized. The money is huge. The master is mean. The two servants are wildly successful. And that third servant is ridiculously foolish. I mean, who buries $432 in the ground? The details are extreme for the story to make its point. And the point is... When the master entrusts you with something, do with it what the master himself would have done. When the master entrusts you with something, do with it what the master himself would have done. So it's not that God is like the rich man. God is better than the rich man. God is infinitely better than the rich man. Jesus is implying with this parable, if, if servants will work hard for this nasty Lord, for someone who's shady about his business... If servants will do the will of the guy who's a cheat and a jerk, how much more will we want to do the business of God who's not a cheat and a jerk? God is good and holy and just. God has given everything to save us. God loves us without end. We aren't given the business of a terrible master. We're given the business of a righteous and holy master. A master who wants us to live and flourish. So if the servants of the terrible master are ready to do his business, well, what about us? What about us? The natural question of the parable is which servant do we want to be? One of the two who did their master's business and heard those words enter into the joy of your master? Or do we want to be like that third servant? who took the money entrusted to him and just hid it in the ground? Do we want to be like the third master who knew exactly what his master wanted and who his master was, but refused to do what his master would do? I don't think anybody's going to answer the third servant. If you have that answer, then let's talk later, because that's a very interesting answer. But I think for most of us, we want to be like those first two servants. So what does that mean? Remember I said at the start that Jesus' parables are not meant to be neat and tidy. 
I think this story leaves us with a whole lot more questions than answers about how to apply this parable to our lives. When we do that, I think it's important for us to remember that in the view of Scripture, everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants. God made the world and all that is here is God's. What we have, everything that we have comes to us as a gift from God. It's entrusted to us from God to care for and steward in our lifetimes. That's the view of the Bible from the beginning to the end. So this parable of Jesus, it, it asks us to take stock. With what have you been entrusted? In the story, it's a crazy sum of money. That's what the servants are entrusted with, a crazy sum of money. And some of us might look at that parable and say, yeah, actually, that sounds about right. I have been entrusted with a lot of money, more money than I ever thought I'd have. If that's true for you, then I suggest the parable asks us, what does it mean to do God's business with my money? Like those first two servants in the story, we want to be about our master's business. They did what the rich man himself would have done when uh, were he there. So what kind of choices would God make about our money if it were God's to spend? Now this actually feels like a pretty hard question to me. Because I doubt that God's top priority with my money would be making sure I have an espresso every day. And that happens to be a pretty high priority for me. So, I have to think long and hard about the way that I'm spending my money when I ask this question. What would God do if it were God's to spend? What, what do I need to do to align myself with the business of God? And if I'm feeling a little bit out of alignment when I ask that question, what, what small step can I take so that I can be more in line with God's work in the world? Now, some of you might be saying, hey, Amy, I do not have a crazy amount of money. Not even close. I have a checking account that barely stays above zero by the end of the month. Okay. Well, you may not have lots of extra money, but you still have been given a lot of resources, material stuff, stuff that you can align with God's business. You have a place to live. You quite likely have a car. You have clothes, you have lots of stuff. You have things about which you can ask these very same questions. Am I using my stuff in a way that lines up with God's business? Am I using my stuff to align with the will of God, with the work of God in the world? And if I'm not, how can I take a step closer toward alignment? Or all of us have been given the earth. Right? We have the water and the trees and the air that we breathe. We have the oils and the minerals and the ground and soil with which to grow our food. We have the oceans and the forests and all the animals that fill this planet. All of this is given to us by God to tend and care. How are we using or protecting the resources of the earth? Are we using that stuff in a way that lines up with the will and the way of God? And if we're not, what step can we take to be more in alignment with our master's business. Now this parable is not prescriptive for us. It doesn't tell us exactly what to do. It leaves us with questions and asks us to work out the answers together in faith. Now, I don't want to be prescriptive today either. I just want to encourage us to wrestle with these questions, to take them home, to sit with them, maybe talk about them with our family or our friends. How do we do the work of God? How do we line up the 
the use of our stuff, our money, our planet, how do we line that up with the will of God? How do we use our resources entrusted to us by God in a way that lines up with God's business? As we wrestle with those questions, my prayer is the Spirit will guide us, it will bring us insight, it will give us courage to be about our master's business until we can see God face to face and hear God's affirmation, well done. Amen.